Brian, Jessica, it's great to see so many from Northgate uh, joining us today. Well, uh, your brothers and sisters are down at camp. So uh, I just wanted today to, to give a short report. For those of you who know, uh, my son Seth and I were recently uh, over in the Bahamas after Hurricane Dorian came through and uh, had some pretty destructive force in this particular area where we went. And they were calling out for for people to come and, uh, and help with the relief efforts there. So let's see if we can get our, I've got a little presentation here. We'll see if we can't get this thing going. We good in the back, guys? I'll let the techies figure this out. Meanwhile, I'll just give a little bit of an introduction to it. Uh, my wife, Janet, and myself, three years ago for our 35th anniversary, uh, went on a trip to what's called Man o' War K. We had known about it through the Amos family. Randy and Sylvia have gone there uh, fairly regularly over the years. And, uh, and also the Lehman family have had a connection there. Carl, Lehman, and Joan, when they were newly into the Lord's work, spend some time over on this island working with uh, the, the folks there. It's a small island, it's about two and a half miles long, and at its widest point, it's probably not more than a half a mile. Um, and it's uh, got about 250 permanent residents on this whole island. But uh, the hurricane eye came through it with great force. So here we have our slideshow, thanks Mike. And uh, just to point out real quickly where it is, we, Seth and I flew down to north of uh, Fort Lauderdale to, to West Palm Beach, which is sort of where this curves out here. We flew over Freeport. You might have heard that in the news. It got hit pretty hard. Um, and then we went over here to Marsh Harbor, it's called, right there, on a small plane after we'd flown down to, to Palm Beach. We then had to get a ferry boat uh, from there over to, this is Marsh Harbor. This is where we landed over here, the, the airport's there. Over here to the harbor, where we could take a, uh, a boat, a ferry boat, over here to Man of War Cay, right there. And again, it's only two and a half miles long. You might want to note, too, this great Guana Cay up here, because I'm going to make a mention of that in a moment. Uh, but that's where, that's where we went for a week. And this is where the eye of the uh, Hurricane Dorian is right over that island. It's stuck there. It kind of stalled out for over a full 24 hours. I think it was over 30-some hours. And it turns out that most of those residents, full-time residents, did not leave the island. Even when they heard it was going to be a Category 5, the worst storm that ever hit there their, in their recorded history, they still remained there because it's their home. I just want to show you a quick uh, little video here um, that while I was there, someone put me onto this. If I can get there.
So that's the, uh, the island there. You got a pretty good picture from the video as to what, uh, what happened to it. This is before the hurricane. Most of the homes are in this little harbor area. There is a little bit of a hill going through the middle of the island, which I'm sure gave it a lot of shelter for this area, though many of these homes were damaged extensively. Most of the coastal homes here were demolished. So Seth and I went there for a relief project that we heard about. Ernest Lehman had uh, let us know that someone was, was organizing it and decided we would go over for the week. This is a picture that I took on the narrow part of the island where you can see how narrow it is. On the one side over here is the, the ocean and over here is the bay. 
and uh, you literally you're right going between the two. Recently saw a picture of the waves going right across there. And this is what it looked like three years ago when Janet and I were there in June, three years from, from today, before today. And this is what it looked like from almost the same vantage point right after the hurricane. The pavilion, which was almost brand new, is totally gone. This house, which had a beautiful roof on it, is missing its roof. Uh, and this is all that was left of that uh, pavilion. Uh, you don't know if you can read it from there, but it says basically, the Lord's name is to be praised, Psalm 113.3. Um, it's very interesting that that was, that was left remaining in spite of all the things. This is the team of us that went. This young lady here has been organizing teams to go over ever since the devastation. Her husband is from the island originally, and she came going over with her. This is myself and Seth and some of the other guys who came with us for that week. We stayed, Seth and I, in this little uh, bunkhouse in the bunks with someone else, and uh, we had a shower out back that we could... Uh, shower up if we needed to, which we did at the end of each day. But just a couple pictures showing some of the, uh, the extent of the devastation that we experienced when, when we were there, that we saw. Get it into full mode for you. Uh, this showed the, uh, the force of the winds taking these pieces of wood and literally driving them through a half-inch siding board, pu uh, puncturing completely through. Our day would start off here. This is where the, uh, the, the group would meet to get our marching orders for the day. You see the gentleman standing there with the orange shirt on with a Samaritan's Purse t-shirt. Uh, just like the Operation Christmas Child, Samaritan's Purse was in the middle of this operation. Uh, they sent quite a number of workers, a lot of resources and materials that were desperately needed by these survivors. And, uh, and they organized uh, and assessed the damage organize the teams to go priority around and to, uh, to work on the, the things that needed to be worked on. What we'd do after the meeting is we would go, we were assigned a team, and the week that we were there, they particularly needed people to help tarp roofs because a lot of the homes were still leaking. Every time it rained, the water would just come pouring in and ruin their, their furniture and everything all over again. So uh, we would load up these carts. There's no... There's no vehicles, uh, motor vehicles on the island like cars or things like that. There's just golf carts. And we would load them up with tarping materials and nails and uh, all the different things, tools that we needed. Uh, Samaritan's Purse provided all of this. Uh, they had a whole container full of their tools that uh, they let us use. And they trained us going up onto the roofs um, to put down this tarping material. This tarping material had a special kind of fiberglass reinforcement, and it was somewhat stretchier than most, you know, the kind you'd buy in the box stores today. So you could wrap uh, one inch by two inch, eight foot boards, the tarp around that, and you could nail it down, then go to the other end and do the same, wrap it, and then pull it real tight, turn it around and push it down with your knee so it would tighten it up even more than you'd toenail it down, and it would, it would give you a nice tight uh, surface to keep the rain off. And you can see on this roof how tight it actually gets. And then we'd put uh, some of those little strips of wood uh, uh, vertically here to hold it down as well. This gentleman here, David, was our, our team uh, supervisor. He set up all the teams. He was with Samaritan's Purse. Um, really helpful to teach us how to do this and to, to give us uh, instructions that we needed. Uh, there's Seth up here on the roof working away 
Uh, this was actually a two-story building. The ladder, this ladder is uh, on a porch up on the top of the, the second story. So, see, no, top of the first story. So it's going up to the second story there. And that was me just working away over there on it. Sometimes to get to the roofs, uh, things like telephone poles had to be removed. Uh, this fellow, Schuyler, is a Mennonite, and there were quite a number of Mennonites who came over to help, and he's cutting all the power lines so that that pole can get off where we could tarp the roof. And uh, they're going to they're gonna re-run uh, all the electric cables tunnel underground after this. They, they made the decision as a town, we're not going to have poles anymore. And so that's going to be a big uh, expense and a big undertaking. One of the things I really appreciated about this, these guys, we worked from 7 in the morning until at least supper time at 6 o'clock usually every night. Um, and when we finished a roof, we'd do three, two, three, maybe sometimes four roofs a day. We would, we would stop and we'd uh, give these Billy Graham Bibles uh, to the residents, and we'd each sign them. And we'd put a verse in there, or just some thoughts of encouragement. We'd share that with the, uh, with the, the owner of the, the residence, and we'd give them a little gospel message. We'd tell them that the Billy Graham Bible had 50 questions that Billy Graham was most asked in all of his years of ministry and the, quest, the answers to those questions in the Bible, and that there were a topical uh, question-answer kind of thing in it as well. And, uh, and then we would pray with them. And it was very, it was very um, uh, significant that we did this because they were left with this Word of God that they could refer back to through the storm. And it had a little brochure in it called, I think it was After the Storm, with uh, Franklin Graham writing a little uh, commentary and some other really good information about uh, the Lord. Now this young lady, <clears throat> I call her young because she's about my age, uh, her, name, her name is Sarah Ann Weatherford. And uh, Ernest Lehman kind of grew up with her as sort of a mother figure when, he, when they were living over there on this island. And so he really was wanting to look after her. And the whole time we were there, he was sending us messages, you know, could you go look in on Sarah Ann? Would you make sure she's got water today? Could you check uh, to see about her roof? Her situation is pretty desperate. And so eventually we were able to get her a generator set up so she could, she could get some power back. Um, but this is what her house looked like after the hurricane. There's no uh, plywood sheathing up in here. This area, I went up in there and looked right through. You could just see the sky up above uh, wide open. And the other side was not a whole lot better. Then we were able to get some, uh, some sheathing that had come over on a barge. And we got that all up on there. And then eventually we were able to tarp up her roof, cover the holes in the windows. We put a new door on it for her in the front. Um, this, these are actually pictures I took off of, uh, of something I got from those who are there uh, on the island right now. And they're documenting what's happening week by week. And I'm just going to read you a little, little bit of a story. They did this personal story, which was a new feature for them. And it was about Sarah Ann Weatherford. Just a short paragraph. Said a lifelong resident of the island at age 69, cancer survivor and Albury descendant, the Alburys are the ones who were original occupants of the island back in the early 1800s, had her roof badly damaged by the storm. A group of very concerned volunteers working after hours restored her roof and dried in her house with Samaritan blue tarp. Next comes the mucking process. Kathleen, a muck out lead from SP, Samaritan's Purse, visited with Sarah Ann the evening before the process was to start. Sarah Ann shared a story telling us she routinely gives to charitable organizations every year. 
Last year, she decided to give to a different organization as a change of pace. The name of this new organization is Samaritan's Purse. Uh, the brochure she's holding up, which you can't see it super well here, but it's in this, in this middle picture here, that brochure uh, uh, depicts two Samaritan's Purse people mucking out a house. It was waterlogged. The two individuals are well known to Kathleen as she helped to train them. That's Kathleen over here. So just a little personal story there of uh, one of the things that we were involved with in trying to help her get the water supply and other things. There's a, a chapel, a, a building there with a number of believers like we have here that meet regularly, a gospel chapel. And it too was affected by the hurricane. <clears throat> this is the front entrance there. They still haven't even taken down the plywood on the windows. You can see over here all the pews that were all destroyed uh, because of the, the weather getting inside uh, the, the building. And you can see the tarping up here on top that they've since tried to, to cover over. This is inside, notice up here, the whole ceiling is um, uh, destroyed. They lost uh, their whole sound system. They just gotten a $5,000 sound system and that was all ruined. You can't see it well in here, but most of this paneling is all shredded. It's just pulling right off. The, uh, the, the veneer on it. And, uh, and they've, you know, they've suffered quite a bit. On Sunday, uh, all of the, there are three Christian groups that all meet there on the island. They all met together here because this was the least damaged of all of the churches on the island. And uh, it was nice that they could all be together and, uh, and worship the Lord together. This couple uh, is George and Melissa. Melissa is an Albury from that same family, the Albury family. And uh, their story I just wanted to share quickly because we spent some time with them, uh, helping them in their house. We had to tear out some of the, the beautiful uh, tongue and groove ceilings that they'd put in their bedroom that had been uh, destroyed by the hurricane and get the insulation out so it wouldn't get moldy in there and so forth. Uh, we also spent some time working on their, their chicken coop out back that had been destroyed. And George took, uh, took me over one day to that Guana Cay, that other island that you saw earlier, very large island. And that had also been hit very hard. But one of the reasons was he wanted me to see uh, the damage that was done there, too, to the little assembly that's there. This is a much smaller one, Seaside Gospel Chapel. This is one of the elders here, Phil, out front. And... Uh, and you can see the, uh, the building was severely damaged in the back, lost some of its roof. The foundation was actually, this is cement, actually lifted right up the, the one uh, left rear quadrant, lifted right up and dropped back down by the force of these winds. And inside you could see the, uh, the damage there as well. And it's just the last picture I have of this group uh, with a little rainbow in there because even though so many of these homes were, were destroyed or, or severely damaged, these people have a great uh, aspect of hope. And, and they, just like the rainbow that the Lord gave to Noah after the flood, that there was better days coming. And they all latched on to that. And they're hurting. There are many of them that are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, depression, from losing everything that they own. Um, but they're all safe. And mo many of them, I shouldn't say most, but I know many of them do know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. So we were greatly encouraged uh, when we were there with them for those, for those days. And um, so I wanted to share that with you. And now uh, it's sort of a transition because 
it's also a, uh, an introduction to the message for today. We've been, we've been looking into, into uh, the Proverbs over the last, I don't know how many weeks now we've been doing this, month or two, and uh, contrasting certain things. You can see I need a techie person all the time. So I got sons who are really good at this stuff. <laughs> see if I can do this somewhere else. Okay, here we go. And um, so the reason that I, I wanted to show you this, not only give you a report about the work there, and I know some of you were praying for us too as we were there and appreciated that very much. We drew on that strength, believe me. Uh, was also because they're an, an illustration of our subject, which is diligence versus laziness in Proverbs. These people, uh, back even when, when Janet and I were there uh, three years ago, we were well aware that they were a diligent people. They were very hardworking. It mentioned in that little video that you saw, that video clip, that it, theirs is the boat-building capital of the Bahamas. That's the whole Bahamas. That's a lot of islands there. And they have been building boats since the early Albury's on the, on the island uh, arrived. It, the first one was actually shipwrecked, and that's why he ended up there. Um, but uh, they very strong uh, work ethic, and they're very hardworking people. They also kind of have a little bit of a, a toughness on the outside, but you could see through what they've experienced, there's a lot of hurt, and there's a lot of pain underneath that exterior. Uh, so pray for them. And also, it may be the Lord would lead some of you here to go over and do somewhat like what we did. Uh, there are many opportunities to go. They need a lot of hands, a lot of help. Um, and some might want to give to the cause. Uh, let me know if you're interested, and I can direct you to those who are, who are involved with those things. So to our, uh, our subject of the day, diligence versus laziness in Proverbs. Not only are the people of man of war to me a great example, but Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs, uh, he was a diligent person. What kind of things did he do? Maybe some of you can tell me. What, what kind of things was he diligent in doing as he was king of Israel? He built the temple. Very good. What else? He built the king's house, the palace. He built a lot of cities. He had copper mines that he mined. He had horses. And of course, he majored in women. Unfortunately, that was a downfall. But uh, he was a diligent man in whatever he did, whatever he put his hand to. So he's a good example to us of diligence. Well, what is diligence according to, uh, to the dictionary? We have several different definitions here. Uh, and I put the in, kind of in jest here. Let's do some, can I say, diligent research and find out. Okay, so here's some definitions you might find. Constant and earnest effort to accomplish what's undertaken. Persistent exertion of body or mind. Careful and persistent work or effort. Steady, earnest, and energetic effort. Persevering application. The quality of working carefully with a lot of effort. So those give you some, some of the secular definitions out there. Here's another one I found on the web. Persevering de determination to perform a task. Conscientiousness. And you could find many more. Someone made this interesting little uh, diagram kind of thing with a lot of different words that, that relate to being a diligent person um, who has a lot of diligence. Well, what is laziness according to the dictionary? And we don't even really need to define it, do we? I think we all know what it is, but I thought, <clears throat> I really don't want to bother looking it up. Well, <laughs> 
That's a pretty good definition of laziness, isn't it? I'm just too lazy to look it up. Well, if you do bother to look it up and you're not that lazy, you'll find that some dictionaries call it the quality of being unwilling to work uh, or use energy to be idle, uh, averse or disinclined to work, activity or exertion, indolent, slow-moving, sluggish, disinclined to activity or exertion, not energetic or vigorous. Okay, those are a few definitions. Well, let's move into what can we learn about diligence and laziness from Proverbs, because uh, that's the most important thing. That's the focus of our study today. And the, the few minutes we have left, I want us to focus on that. There are some 22 passages in Proverbs, and that's actually quite a lot on one particular subject. If you look at all the different things that, that Solomon focused on with, with money and uh, with uh, wisdom and folly and all these things, that, that's quite a, quite a lot of uh, passages that particularly deal with, with this one issue. So what are the Hebrew words behind diligent and lazy? The, one, the first word there, harutz, uh, is an adjective. It's used of uh, sharp things like a threshing instrument, and it meant to be diligent. As a verb, it meant to cut, sharpen, decide, act with decision, or be decisive. So uh, you can see there's, a, there's an intentionality to diligence. It doesn't just happen. <laughs> it's not something that uh, all of a sudden just materializes out of nowhere. Diligence, there's a... There's a a way in which we look at something and we say, I am going to do this. Like take, for instance, this relief trip. I saw that there was a need there. My heart went out to the people that I knew were there. We had met many of these believers over there. I knew that they had experienced a horrible thing in their lives. And both my wife and I felt this would be a good thing for us if there's any way we can help to do it. So there had to be some diligence to say, okay, how do I do this? I could have just thrown up my hands in despair and said, oh, you know, it's too hard. I don't know how to do that. Plus, I'm working. I've got other things going on. I don't know how to get there. How could we possibly do anything like that? We can't help them. I'll tell you what. I'll just send a check in the mail. I mean, that's, that's still being diligent. It's still being helpful. I don't want to undermine that. Uh, but there's some aspects in actual physical work and other things that we do that involve our, our intentional work. The word for uh, laziness in the Hebrew is barzel, and that, that's an adjective that means sluggish. Often it's translated as a sluggard when it comes to noun form, uh, to be lazy. Ecclesiastes 10.18 uses it when it says, because of laziness the house decays, and through idleness of hands the house leaks. So those are the words that we're looking at. And there's obviously the two aspects. We're going to look first at diligent, being diligent. And our admonition in Proverbs is in Proverbs 6.6, 6, go to the ant, you sluggard, Proverbs 6.6. 6. And here you see a picture of an ant and how hard they work, even going uphill with heavy loads. Uh, so what do we learn according to the Proverbs with respect to diligence? Uh, and I'm just going to run through these really quick because the, there are a lot of different passages, like I said, at least 22 that we're looking at. And uh, so I'll read you some of them. You don't have to look them all up. Okay, so Proverbs uh, 6, and 6, 7, and 8, and chapter 10, verse 5, tell us that diligent people are self-motivated, hardworking, and intentional about preparations for the future. 6, 7, and 8 say, Consider the ant, which, having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. And then 10, 5 says, He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. All right, they're well off and they're self-sufficient, according to 10.4 and 12.11. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich, 
12.11 says, He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. And then uh, we read the verse about being wise already, um, uh, because in 6.6 it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. And 10.5 says, He who gathers in summer is a wise son. Um, and then we have leadership material are the diligent people. The, uh, the hand of the diligent rule will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. That's in chapter 12, verse 24. We also have that uh, the diligent are appreciative of the value of diligence itself. Uh, it says that um, chapter 12, 24, uh, now let's keep going on here. Chapter 12, 27, it says, The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. Also, we see that uh, they're most likely to experience inward satisfaction and outward contentment. And we have a lot of verses here that, that have to do with that. I'll read some of them. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich, 13.4. 14.23 says, In all labor there's profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent surely lead to plenty, but those of everyone who's hasty to poverty. And then 28.19 says, He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. So they're most likely to have inward satisfaction and outward contentment. They also, they set good examples that encourage others to follow. 15.19 says, The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, which nobody wants to follow, but the way of the upright is a highway. They also uh, are motivated by recognized needs. Chapter 16, 26 says, The person who labors, labors for himself, for his hungry mouth drives him on. So there's a recognition that our, our needs will, will help us to be, more dis, to be more diligent about things. They're diligent are disciplined in their sleep habits. Chapter 20, verse 13 says, Do not love sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you'll be satisfied with bread. They're the ones who get up when it's time to get up. And they know that they have to, to uh, go to work or do something that uh, needs to be done. They, uh, they're also uh, more willing to share their abundance with others in need than those who are not diligent. Um, it says in chapter 21, verse 26, the, the, the slothful covets greedily all day long, but the, the righteous gives and does not spare. And then uh, it says here, too, that the diligent are aware of the needs of those they look after and ultimately benefiting from the fruits, they benefit from the fruits of their pastoral care. This is a nice passage in chapter 27, verses 23 to 27. It says, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks. Attend to your herds, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maidservants. So look, those are some of the, the uh, characteristics of the, uh, the diligent. And then, of course, we have the exhortation. <laughs> Don't be lazy. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? Proverbs 6.8 suggests. And I, I know I can identify sometimes with this. But according to the Proverbs... Uh, here are some things about, about the lazy, and I'm not going to read them all for you. If, you, if you. Afterwards, you want these passages, I can give them to you. Um, but they're needing to learn from the ant, chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. They're characterized by a slack hand, and that word in the Hebrew can mean they're deceitful or treacherous, possibly, as well. 
They're impoverished, according to chapter 10, verse 4. They're shameful, chapter 10, verse 5. They're a severe disappointment to those who rely on them because they're untrustworthy. That's an interesting verse about like smoke in the eyes or vinegar. You know, things that you don't like are, are the, the lazy to those who send them. In other words, those who are counting on them to get something done, it doesn't happen, and uh, they're disappointed. Uh, I ardently, they're pursuing vanity or emptiness, lacking heart. That's an interesting Hebrew phrase, too, which has the idea that, that they don't have the, uh, the, the willpower. They're, they're short on that, That's, so they're more prone toward an addictive nature, and there's a number of verses that, that, uh, that support that thought. And in counseling, I often talk to people uh, who have that struggle. I've had it over, over the years myself, where we struggle with addictive things, whether it's uh, some kind of, um, I don't know, uh, device like alcohol or drugs or sex or some other thing, pornography. There's things that come into our lives that are very difficult to, to handle. Maybe it's food. You know, it could be, could be any number of things, but um, the Proverbs make a connection that, that, that this is more likely to happen with those of us who maybe have a tendency toward laziness. They're also, according to chapter 12, verse 24, not good leadership material because they have to work for others who can goad them on because they're not, they don't have the motivation and they don't have the, uh, the drive to do what needs to be done. They're prone to take dangerous shortcuts, it says in chapter 12, verse 27, and that's the one who, he, who's hunting. We read that earlier, and he doesn't even roast his food. Well, that can be dangerous. You're eating raw food, and you know, who knows what you're going to get, right? Um, because they're just too lazy to want to cook it. They don't want to bother. They're unprofitable because they're all talk and they're no, no work. Chapter 14, 23 has a verse specifically about that. They're just talking. Uh, they're setting bad examples, and those warn others not to follow. And that's that verse about the thorns. Um, you know, whoever follows them is like following thorns. A few other things that uh, the lazy are characterized by in the Proverbs is that they're bad businessmen who are more susceptible to corruption and ruin according to chapter 18, verse 9. They're, they're blind to what they'll suffer because of their laziness, chapter 19, 15. They don't even realize how it's going to impact them negatively uh, because of that quality. Neglectful of help, even when it's readily available. Those are funny verses about, you know, they, they can't bring their hand from the bowl to their mouth, uh, sort of like the guy in the picture with the Cheetos. It's like they're just, they can't do what needs to be done, even though it's right there for them, uh, provided for them. Um, they're avoidant of of inopportune hard work and suffer as a result. Uh, this is one about, um, I think that's the one about the lion outside. Let me, let me, let me just look that up because it's kind of funny. That's uh, chapter 20, verse 4, and it says, The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. It's not the one I was thinking of. But anyway, yeah, that's, that's what it is. So when they should be doing the winter crops, they're, they're not. It's too cold outside. I don't want to go out. I just want to relax. I'm having a good time right here. And so then come the spring, the crop's not there, and then they, they're in need. Okay, they're also suffering need because of their love for sleep. And there's quite a few passages I've put up there because it mentions over and over again about that, that they, they love their sleep more than they love the work that needs to get done. Um, and then they, they're needy because they resist what they know they should do, even when they're pressured. Chapter 21, 15 uh, gives us that, that uh, thought. And uh, they're narcissistic or self-centered, controlled by self-lust, unwilling to do the necessary hard things. Chapter 21, 25, and 26.
and that is, it says, the lust or covetousness of the lazy man kills him, for his hands are unwilling to labor. He covets greedily all, greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. Uh, okay, also looking for extravagant excuses to justify their pathological idleness. That's the one where the lazy man says, there's a lion outside, I shall be slain in the streets. Well, you're not going to probably run into the lion, right? And then 26.13 says the same thing. The lazy man says, there's a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. So he doesn't go out, right? And uh, they're also lacking needed resolution or determination that leads to neglect and neediness. Chapter 24, verses 30 to 34, it says, I went by the field of the lazy man, by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. And then finally, uh, they're known for a lack of self-discernment and they think more of themselves than they should. Chapter 26, 16 says, The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Okay, so that gives us a quick kind of rundown on... Uh, on the, what the Bible teaches in Proverbs about uh, the diligent and the lazy. Yeah, so this guy's saying, I'm not lazy, I'm just not, I'm just unmotivated, that's all. And I think we can all identify with that at times. And laziness isn't always uh, the reason behind our tiredness, for instance. There are other factors why you might be tired a lot, why you may feel you need sleep. Um, some of them are the follow, They're, you're anemic, you have a thyroid problem, you might have prediabetes or diabetes, you're depressed. You've got a leaky gut or food sensitivity. You're suffering from uh, adrenal fatigue. You have an infection. You have sleep apnea. You have heart failure. You have children. You, you, know, <laughs> you can just go on and on and on, right? I mean, we can think of a lot of reasons why we're just sometimes exhausted and it doesn't have anything to do with laziness. So, you know, take, take that with, you know, into account. Obviously, get a physical uh, a doctor's opinion if there's, there's something else going on there. Um, but I think you know the difference between the two. Uh, just a summary here. Those who are diligent in the Proverbs are portrayed as being responsible and hardworking, proactive and intentional, alert to their own and others' needs, outwardly content and inwardly satisfied, good examples, and leadership potential. Where on the other hand, those as lazy, uh, portrayed that way, are irresponsible and unproductive. They're self-centered with addictive tendencies. They're neglectful to their own and others' needs. They outwardly are suffering, want, and inwardly they're empty. They're bad examples and uh, not good leaders. All right, so just a, another little side point here uh, is that diligence is part of God's image. You know, we look at creation in six days, God made the heavens and the earth, but then he took a day of rest too. Um, and, and there's a balance involved in this, isn't there? Uh, and, and because we're made in God's image, we also need times of rest. Laziness, on the other hand, was a result of the fall. The temptation involved a shortcut to gaining wisdom. Uh, Satan said to Eve, uh, don't you want to be wise? You know, you don't have to listen to God. I can give you the wisdom or, you know, just take that fruit there. You know, don't listen to what God said. And so there was a laziness involved in her, in her giving into that temptation. The result in curses involved extra hard work, which is interesting for both of them. And then at that time, too, you had the introduction of what we call entropy or the second law of thermodynamics. Um, and so just quick in, to wrap things up here. Uh, there's a spectrum of diligence and laziness. I think we all know this, and probably our issues here are more 
honestly, going too far over on the diligence side and becoming like workaholics. We're, we're overactive, we don't take vacations. Our relationships with our spouses and kids and friends are neglected because we're so busy with all these different jobs we're doing and other things we think are more important. We may be sleep deprived when we shouldn't be. Some of us may struggle more on this end with prolonged sleep because of laziness, idleness, and ultimately indolence, which is just totally inactivity. And we may be fitting more into the sluggard category. But my guess is, knowing most of you as I do, we're probably more unbalanced on this end of the spectrum. But I just wanted to bring that up, that it's, you know, it's not just a matter of, okay, I'm gonna be so diligent now. I'm not gonna sleep. I'm gonna be up 24 hours. I'm gonna be a monk and I'm you know, gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. Well, have a balance. God wants us to be balanced. There's other areas in our lives that God, that God wants us to be diligent in. In the New Testament, the word spudazo talks about a diligent word, in it, and it talks about providing for material needs, keeping unity of the spirit, presenting ourselves approved to God, workers who don't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, being found in peace without spot and blameless, remembering the poor, and so on and so on and so on. Okay, there's a lot of different things here that we can be diligent about, and I commend that to you for a word study. So as a, as a general summary of this, be financially responsible, sharing with the needy, loving and preferring one another, knowing, speaking, and living the word of God, pleasing God, making sure of your salvation, experiencing godly sorrow over sin, and disciplining as needed. Okay, those are the sort of the general things. Then you know that Jesus taught and modeled diligence and all the things he did, so we don't really need to spend time on that. And just wrap it up with this verse in Romans 12, which I think is appropriate. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, and that word fervent means like on fire, burning up with fire, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. So we got our homework cut out for us um, as far as seeking to be diligent and, um, and having a balance in our lives so that the Lord is pleased with, uh, with our diligence to him. So let's just close in prayer. Father, just want to thank you now for this day. Thank you that we could be diligent to be here today, to want to hear from you and to listen to your word. And Lord, you have said a lot about this subject. And uh, we just pray that we might be receptive to it. Help us to be convicted by your spirit if we're leaning one side or the other of the spectrum too much, um, that we would uh, take heart in, in the way you want us to be, to be more balanced. Father, we also want to commit those people on Man of War KDU and, and in Marsh Harbor and Freeport and other areas that were so um, affected by that hurricane. We just pray your encouragement in their lives and, and the hope that, uh, that they need to just go from day to day right now, to also to rebuild the infrastructure that was destroyed. So we just commit our day now to you and the remainder of it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>